Welcome everyone to this Monday evening meditation service. Today is a, uh, a day on the calendar that a lot of folks know as All Saints Day. And it's been a, a wonderful uh, season of uh, Sagaki and of course my favorite holiday, Halloween. And we had a great, great time uh, at the fire ceremony of Sagaki. And we also had a wonderful Halloween party and uh, Halloween night. I uh, had a nice fire with my son and my wife and we waited for the great pumpkin. And it's a very special week because tomorrow is my son's birthday, my beloved son. And uh, November 4th is the anniversary of our first date, which how many makes that now? 38. 38, 38 years ago. So it's a special time of the year for me. So tonight's talk is about that subject. Uh, a lot of times people ask me, you know, especially if they've come from another um, a Christian tradition in particular, uh, Catholic, Episcopalian, Lutheran, and they'll ask me about the idea of a saint. And it's interesting because I think in our culture, um, we have a very dualistic notion of what that concept means. And I'm going to talk a little bit more about that. But as you know, I always like to define my terms. So we're going to look at the word saint and why I think it's very important. So the word saint has its original origins in the ancient Indo-European language, uh, which uh, an example of that you can find in Sanskrit. And some scholars consider it to be the mother tongue of all modern languages. Um, so the word in Sanskrit for saint is sant, S-A-N-T. And the word sant in Sanskrit uh, basically could be defined as someone who was exemplifying truth. So a person who was exemplifying truth was known as someone who was uh, holy. And the word that we use for saint comes from the Latin sanct, such as sanctum, and it's S-A-N-C-T, and that word uh, is defined as holy or sanctified. So a person who is a saint is someone who is exemplifying truth and is someone who is holy and sanctified. What does that mean exactly? Well, when we look at this description in our society, uh, we have a tendency because our, our culture, our popular culture, is very dualistic to see uh, categories as either or. So we have the saint and the sinner. And they're always considered to be polar opposites from each other. Uh, I often comment that whenever watching a film, uh, often the character named Tony is either a saint or a sinner. <laughs> it seems to always be that way. And so this idea of saint and sinner being so separate from each other is just not 
consistent whatsoever with the teachings of the Dharma. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, basically, uh, what is a saint then? If a saint in a dualistic sense is the polar opposite of the sinner, what is a saint from a dharmic perspective? And to me, a saint is simply someone who is awakened to their his or her true self and then is embodying that reality in their ego life. That's what a saint is, very simply. Someone who's awakened to their true self and is allowing that true self imperfectly to manifest in their life and through the life of the ego. Now, the reason that it's so different from the popular view is that the popular view is based on perfectionism. And perfectionism, as I say many times, is the most pernicious problem that humans face. Constantly seeing things in either or categories, constantly seeing things as black and white, and from that flows an attitude that allows one to be easily manipulated into um, doing what the saint side says and trying to not do what the sinner side says. We were watching a film recently with Christopher Lee as the eponymous character of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. And in that movie exemplified this idea we have in pop culture of separating the two natures as if they are two separate experiences and things. But the reality is, from our point of view, this, this good and bad, black and white, either or perspective is a delusion. It's a delusion. And it's not realistic. It, you know, it causes a view, uh, on the one hand, to make people feel hopeless because, you know, they've either done things that they consider sinful or people consider them sinful. And it leaves them, you know, feeling like they'll never be able to measure up. And it also breeds repression. It, it, it makes people, you know, sort of artificially compensate for what they think is sinful. And then they repress those desires and those things. And so that is totally, as I said, inconsistent with the Dharmic approach. The Dharmic approach embraces the whole. And what it asks us to do is to harmonize and integrate the good, the bad, and the ugly in our life. And, and when we are doing this, when we're, we're, you know, we've struggled with a lot of pain in our life, and we're wrestling with this integration, to me that's a saint. A saint is not a perfect person. A saint isn't someone who, you know, lives in some stained glass window. A saint isn't someone who doesn't have very human qualities and sometimes frailties. But it's in those frailties, all those cracks within the person, that the light comes through. So what I'm going to do also is give you two examples, three actually, of a more Buddhist version, of a Dharmic version of what a saint is. So the first person I want to talk about is... Um, and these all come from the hagiographic lore uh, of saints in Buddhism. And the first one is Milarepa. 
or Milarepa. And Milarepa is uh, a great figure in the Tibetan history. Now the story goes that when he was a young man, his inheritance that he was to receive from his father when he died was stolen by his aunt and uncle. And his mom, <laughs> very angry by this, encouraged him to go off and study sorcery so he could wreak his revenge. Big good movie. And so he does so and becomes a master of the black arts. And his vengeance is very deep and hard and causes the death of many. And so that's the first part of the story of Milarepa, is that he is this person filled with anger and hatred, and he uses his skills as a sorcerer to wreak havoc on, and revenge on those who he believed did him wrong. However, in time, he began to fall into a depression and began to have a great sense of despair over the actions that he had taken. And so he goes off and wanders, trying to figure out what he's going to do. In some versions, they say that he contemplates destroying himself, committing suicide. And he comes across a teacher by the name of Marpa. Now, Marpa is not an easy fellow. Marpa is one of those teachers that teaches you just as much by the attention stick as he does by the embrace. And so he takes Milarepa on as a student and through many trials and tribulations, Milarepa eventually experiences awakening. He awakens to his true self. And when he does this, he experiences a mighty conversion and goes on to become one of the great Tibetan Buddhist saint poets. He was a great poet and his poetry to this day is, is very, very well known. And interestingly, his students uh, who followed after him, Gampopa being one of them, uh, eventually, they would go on to create the main four schools of Tibetan Buddhism. So imagine that. All those things coming from a person who did such horrible, evil actions. But see, that's the thing. The thing about oneness is that even in the midst of our suffering or causing great pain for others, there's always hope of liberation. And one of the sayings of Milarepa that I love and I try to live by is simply this. My religion is to live and die without regret. My religion is to live and die without regret. Think how powerful that is coming from the mouth of Milarepa. The next person that uh, I want to share with you is from Japan. And he is the great 
Zen saint known as Ikkyu. Now Ikkyu was born the bastard child of an emperor. Uh, it was one of the emperor's uh, mistresses, and he was born and born in poverty, never recognized uh, as the emperor's son. And from a very early age, he was a very spiritual person. And so he entered uh, the seminary and began training and became eventually a priest. Now, the thing I love about EQ is that he always had a very strong rebellious streak and was, was always known as quite the maverick. And again, interestingly, he becomes one of the great artists of Japan, not just in his, uh, his uh, poems, but also in his art, his paintings. Now, here's the thing about EQ. And this one, I think, is a little harder for people than, than even Milarepa. And that is, EQ was a lover of brothels. And in fact, he would wear his black priestly robes to the brothel because he was not ashamed. And he spoke of these things in his poetry. And he considered sex when entered into mindfully and purposely and playfully a sacrament and as good a path to enlightenment as any. Here's a poem of his that I enjoy. The narrow path of asceticism is not for me. My mind runs in the opposite direction. It is easy to be glib about Zen or the way of oneness. I'll just keep my mouth shut and rely on love play all the day long. <laughs> so, again, what we're learning from this uh, these examples of these Buddhist saints is that they don't really fit into our popular culture's idea at all. And finally, I'll finish with a story that is about uh, the great Bodhisattva Avalokiteshwara, or also known popularly as Kanzian, Kanon in Chinese, Kanzian in Japanese. And this story, Kanzian the great Bodhisattva of Compassion, decides to be incarnated in a human being, a human woman. And this human woman is a beautiful prostitute. And as a beautiful prostitute, she welcomes all to her parlor. She doesn't turn anyone away. And through passionate lovemaking, she releases the lust that they are burdened by, and she calms their hearts and minds. And she did this for many years. And finally, as she got older, she died. And unfortunately, she died in poverty. And because she was a prostitute, she was treated like a common criminal or thief. And she was buried on the roadside 
Now, many years later, it is said that a particularly insightful priest, a young priest, newly ordained, was walking along this road. And when he came to her grave, he had the clairvoyant gift of seeing what the true nature of this woman was. And so he stops, and in obeisance, he bows, and he makes offerings in public at her grave. Well, of course, you know, this is a busy road. And when the people see what this priest is doing, the people cry and stop him and say, What are you doing, man? Don't you know who this was? She was a common whore. And you're celebrating her as if she were a saint. And when the young priest had finished his oblations, he turned to them and said, you do not see, fools, that this was the Buddha. And the people are like, has this priest had too much to drink? What's going on here? Right? And so the young priest says, if you don't believe me, if you don't believe me that this woman was the very manifestation of the Buddha, of compassion, then open the grave yourself and see. And so they did. And they dug up her shabby coffin. And it is said that when they pulled the coffin open, great smoke, billing smoke of incense arose like a lotus blossom heavenward. And atop of the cloud was the figure of Kanzian herself. And when the incense had passed, the priest and the others looked, and there in the coffin, lining the bottom, were gold coins gold bullion that she had saved from every client she had entertained, every client she had served with compassion. And so the priest took the gold, and on that site he built a great temple that is there to this day, so that all who would come this way, all who would journey past here, would hear her story. And all would have hope, no matter what station or transition they were in their life. I think that's super cool. <laughs> but the thing is, that's the point, right? The point of this, and these, these examples that I've given you, is to illustrate that the saints... The bodhisattvas, the Buddhas, they teach us to move beyond our dualistic judgments of self and other. They turn upside down the ignorant definitions that we have of what is sacred and profane, and they call us into a life of holiness.
holiness. A life of wholeness. And so we are all called to become saints. All of us. We are all called to become saints. We are all called to embody our Buddha nature and perfectly in this life, uniquely as our own, without judgment of self or other. We are called to be saints, to live fully, to love freely, and to give completely.